vegan and plant-based business owners and entrepreneurs who are often adapting to a new reality. This new podcast series from Vegan Mainstream is an opportunity to help you when it's time to pivot. These interviews will come from inside and outside of our community, and I hope as your host, Stephanie Redcross West, I can inspire you and give you the tools that you need to move forward. Hello and welcome, everyone. I am so excited to come to you and do these interviews, talk with entrepreneurs, engage with people who are starting businesses, running businesses. They are creating the brands that many of us know and love. Many of us rush to the grocery store to grab or get shipped to us. But these are also brands that are extension of the movement. These are brands that are bringing new ideas, bringing innovation, and also introducing often veganism and this lifestyle to others. So I'm excited about having our guests here today because we're not only going to be talking about kind of what it takes to run, manage, and all the changes in the landscape that has really happened probably over the last couple of years in running a vegan plant-based company, but we're going to be talking about a company that's really around vegan seafood. I know for some of you, you're like, vegan seafood. And some of you, you probably maybe had a chance to try some of the products. Maybe some of you haven't. So today may be your, I guess, you know, opportunity to learn about this brand and go out and buy some. But it's also an opportunity, I think, for some of you to see how brands tap into new markets. Many of us are very familiar with the vegan burger market, you know, because that's been talked and talked and talked about. But I don't feel like much light has been given to this market. And I'm hoping today with our guests that we'll spend some time not only understanding the industry, but understanding where things are going, understanding the brand, and also get many of us to become cheerleaders and people that are going to be cheering on this business in the future. So without further ado, let me introduce our guest today, Monica. You know, Monica, I didn't ask you pronunciation of your last name. Is it Talbert? Am I saying it correctly? Or should I say it a little bit? Talbert, got it. Perfect. Well, Monica, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for being with us today. Um, you know, I'm going to ask you a ton of questions before I maybe dive into, you know, the business, and the brand and all that good stuff. Let's back things up. Let's just give people a little bit of insight into the business itself and really kind of talk about how you got started, how you built this brand, how you decided to kick things off. Well, thank you, Stephanie. It's so awesome to be here. I know this has been a really long time in the making. So I've been really, really, really excited about this and, and talking to you and, and your audience, especially at such a crazy time, I think, in the industry. Um, the past couple of years, it's been a, a wild roller coaster. And so there's a lot of fun insights that you know I, I can't wait to, to talk to you about, especially insights that plant-based seafood has, well, maybe not insights, but differences that are in the plant-based seafood category that are different than the plant-based meat and the plant-based chicken category and those products that we have, you know, been seeing for so many years. It's a completely different ballgame in plant-based seafood. And I will say our background. So I didn't start out uh, thinking I was going to, you know, be creating and, and selling a plant-based seafood product and creating a brand and actually started in traditional seafood back when I was 14 uh, in my mom's seafood market. And, and crab shack. So we started in the traditional seafood industry. 
And over the years, we we grew. We learned a lot about the the small, uh, nostalgic Chesapeake Bay. That's where we're from in the Virginia, Maryland area. The Chesapeake Bay blue crabs are all of the rage. So that that's really what we focused on. Grew up in a you know in that small supply chain there. As we grew and got into larger markets. We, of course, with many supply chains, that happens when you go from small to large. You know, you have to you have to get more global. And the the seafood industry, a lot of people don't realize this, is very global. So ninety percent of the seafood that's consumed within the United States is imported. So we went from you know uh, working with small suppliers to now huge international suppliers. And what we were seeing in the industry, uh, which is some you know pretty unacceptable practices. Uh, without getting you know too far into it of overfishing, things that we knew were not going to be sustainable for the future. And of course, we didn't feel good about that. Um, but it was it was very commonplace. But then at the same time, seeing the effects of climate change that were happening to the fish species, you know, in within the the seafood industry. So from there, we knew we wanted to do something different. And we were creating a sustainable seafood brand and got into the innovation kitchen. And through R&D and through innovation, we came up with a crab cake that looked like a crab cake, tasted like a crab cake and had absolutely no crab meat in it. And that was kind of our light bulb moment of, wow, how much more sustainable can you get than just by leaving the crab in the water? And we thought that that was really cool. And we knew that the industry would hate it, but it was fine because it would get people talking. So that's how all of this started. I I wanted to get more conversations going about what was happening in our seafood supply chain and why people should care. And I'm still trying to, to get people to care. But we knew we had something with that plant-based crab cake and we launched it. And, you know, the days following this launch and the press takes the story and we are getting out of this world phenomenal interest and, and from, from this one crab cake Mm -hmm. from Malaysia to China, to Mexico, to Canada. I mean, on a global scale. Were you surprised by the response? Did you expect it to be Floored. More timid. Oh, you're floored. Nice. Floored. No, we couldn't believe it. We we couldn't believe it. And mm-hmm. that really excited us for, you know, the future of a movement that we could be a part of and be part of pioneering, which is exciting to us. Yes. Especially if it was really doing something that was going to spur change in our own industry that we had seen for so many years needed change, needed disruption. And it really excited us. Um, and you know. After we started innovating more products and started getting more interest and excitement, we knew that we had something and, and we wanted to be a part of the plant-based movement. And so we completely split off you know, our traditional and our plant-based. And that's when Mindblown was born. And that was um, right in the heat of uh, 2020, which is COVID, which is a fabulous time to start a brand. Yes. But it actually worked for us because the only channel that was open at that time was direct-to-consumer. So we were able to get products to the consumers really quickly. We were able to innovate really quickly in the kitchen and get it to the consumer and get feedback and either reiterate or or, or validate the products, which is what we did. And then slowly went into retail as retail was starting to open up. So it was more of a slow process, but I think that it all worked out, you know, the way it should have. So, and now we're, we're getting into, into food service, but anyways, that's just a little bit of the background. So it wasn't, you know, an A to B, you know, linear path to, to plant-based or vegan products, but really just wanting to see 
systemic like change within an industry and and our our food systems. Yeah, and I love that you talked about that change and how you approached it from a standpoint of getting it out to the consumer and getting that feedback, mm-hmm. making that change. I think sometimes we all think we have to cook up or design or make the best product or service, you know, kind of in our like garage. And then we get it out to the world, but realizing how important it is that feedback loop can really help you exceed people's expectation because you're starting to involve the people who are going to consume your product, use your product, eat your product, and so forth. You have so to. It's wonderful. Yeah. To hear that. No other way around that, I think, in a food, specifically for a food business, because Absolutely. you know, you're you're making food that people eat. You know, it has to be it has to be exciting, it has to be delicious first above anything else. And direct-to-consumer is a really great way to test that. Farmers markets are a really great way to test that. Some people like to bypass all of that, but it's it's a really important step in in this business. So before I jump into the differences of the you know being in kind of the seafood side of the plant-based movement, I want to just talk about the name. How did you come up with the name? Because so many people struggle with their name, and I really just love your name because it has that kind of emotion towards it, and it has that feeling where if you eat it, you're like, yep, my mind was blown. Like it makes that nice connection. Um, How did you come up with that name? So this is such a fun story. So we agonized over the name, agonized. Uh, When we, when we split off, we named it Plant-Based Seafood Co. I knew that couldn't be the name of the brand. It just couldn't because, you know, we obviously were making products for for vegans and and plant-based eaters, but also really trying to target the meat eater and the seafood eater. And what we needed to do was because we knew it would be a hard sell right? Plant-based seafood. At that time, we, you had Impossible that had just launched. But other than that, there hadn't been a lot of plant-based. So we really needed to sell the experience, expectation, I should say, to the consumer. So they knew what to expect, what level of quality, what level of experience you were going to, to really get from these products. And we actually got invited to TED Talk, TED Women in, in Palm Springs, California to debut the products. And we were going through many different names, like Uncharted and things that were more like seafood related. We had a woman who, uh, love her, she's still on our our YouTube uh, channel with a video. Um, She tasted the products and her eyes rolled into the back of her head and she just said, my mind is blown. And it was just such a reaction that we just said that right there, that's the name. That is the name. And so we went back to, you know, our, our branding partners that we were working with. And, and we decided that day that all the other names were off the, the books, you know, and we were going forward with Mind Blown. I love that. It's a great story. And it's a great experience of, like you said, picking a name can be really, really hard. And sometimes it will just come to you. Sometimes it, I feel like in these creative processes, we have to remember that sometimes we have to give ourselves like space and time for it to mm-hmm. come to you, for the pieces to kind of come together. Too hard. Sorry to interrupt you, but we were, we all, we were trying way too hard, right? Because you get all into the branding process and discovery and you get sometimes just too into it. You have to step back sometimes and that's when you'll find, you know, the answer. Absolutely. So let's talk about the industry. Let's talk about what makes things different kind of in the seafood side of you know, the vegan and plant-based kind of movement companies and how brands are coming to fruition? Well, first it's a white space, right? So we've had plant-based burgers and nuggets around for for quite some time. 
plant-based seafood is still niche. It's, it's still, you know, up and coming. There's still even vegans, uh, that I'll meet. They're like, really plant-based seafood? Like we've seen it a little bit, but nothing like mainstream. And especially a lot of meat and and seafood eaters, you know, sometimes when they meet me, it's the first time they had ever heard and chefs too, ever heard of of plant-based seafood. So it's a huge wide open white space. Also, you have so many different species in the water to replicate. And that's not the same as chicken or beef, right? You've got different forms of kind of the same thing with chicken, either the breast or the nugget, um, the sausage link or the patty. But you have shrimp, you have tuna, which is so different from salmon, which is different from calamari and crab cakes. And, you know, question I get all the time, of course, is what do you use to make your products? Well, they're different because the species are so different. And they taste different and the texture is different and the mouthfeel is different. So I wish I could tell you we just use one or two of the same products, you know, ingredients in each one, but that's not the case. And it shouldn't be the case because then it'd be too easy. But, and then, you know, from an impact perspective, you know, the UN calls this decade, the ocean decade for a reason. We've got 10 years to turn a correct course and, and change the tide on, on what we're doing to the oceans before it'll all be too late which I know is kind of a doom and gloom, scary scenario. But when you look at what we're doing to our oceans, it's extremely unsustainable. And then at the same time, we've got 3.8 billion people that rely on seafood for their daily source of, of nutrition. It's not so much right in the West. We don't, we don't eat that much seafood. But for 3.8 billion people in the world, seafood is their main source of nutrition and protein. So With the increase of demand for seafood, with the increase in population, we are looking at a huge, you know, uh, protein and and supply gap. You're going to have to have something that that fills that gap for the future. That's not really the case for chicken or beef, Um, especially when you look at, you know, these fish stocks that we are fishing to extinction, right? Chickens aren't going extinct. Uh, Cows aren't going extinct. But our ocean very quickly could be wiped out if we don't do something about it. Um, and that's where my passion lies for for what we're doing. Is are we the only? Are we a silver bullet to save the ocean? Absolutely not. It has to be an all hands on deck. But are we part a big part of that solution? Absolutely. Um, so that that's what makes the seafood industry, this plant based seafood industry, really different. And then you have the economics of the seafood industry. So for seafood, it's uh, the catch is volatile, right? It's it's market. Mm-hmm. Like, um, depending on, especially on where you're fishing, but it's also market price. The price is volatile. It's not so much, you know, that way in in chicken and beef. And so we can actually come down to a price parity easier than Mm -hmm. chicken and meat, um, which is one of the few advantages that we have in seafood other than, you know, plant-based meat and chicken. That's an interesting point. I didn't realize that, that, you know, because of that market volatility, that, you know, I mean, you could find a sweet spot with the pricing because often I think when people think about, you know, the alternative, you know, from the consumer's perspective, there's often a premium on these new brands. There's a premium on a lot of the vegan or plant-based alternatives. And it's nice to know that, you know, there might be a sweet spot there, you know, in the plant-based and vegan seafood world. There's definitely an opportunity. And I think for everyday consumers on the shelf, but definitely for operators as well. So mm-hmm. for restaurateurs, um, that's a big issue for putting seafood on your menu because of the volatility and the inconsistency of the product. And so this, you know, that's a that's a different kind of product market fit that plant-based seafood has than, than meat and chicken, which is traditionally really inexpensive. And that's why, you know, something like Beyond Meat or Impossible has, you know, some, some problems because it's hard to compete 
with, you know, that really inexpensive burger patty. But for, for seafood, we are positioning our product to restaurateurs as a savings and consistency um, and an extended shelf life and things like that. And that's, you know, mm-hmm. where we're really seeing that product market fit with the restaurateurs. I love that. Now, you know, with these industries, a lot of times people talk about the change. Where does the change have to come from? Does it come from the industry itself? Like you said, does it come from restaurateurs, from chefs, you know, from individuals like that creating the demand? Or is it from the consumer side creating the demand? Because, you know, if consumers are saying, I want it, I want it, I want it, then people are like, okay, let me go find it. Do you feel like one is driving more than the other in the kind of plant-based seafood world? Or do you feel like it's still to be determined? I am of the opinion that most change happens through consumer demand. It's really hard to get regulation to, to change things to create impact. That's from an impact standpoint of, of seafood and what, what's happening in the ocean. From a demand standpoint, yeah, I mean, it's got to come from the consumers. Um, I think also a side note, you know, why we are seeing a little bit of craziness happening in, in plant-based right now uh, in the industry where there was too much market uh, determined demand. Right. So the mm-hmm. markets were putting a lot of money into plant-based. And I don't think they had really waited for the consumer demand to catch up. So once that consumer demand catches up, which it will, yeah, you know, some some are predicting it'll probably take about five years to exit mm-hmm. out of the, the niche. Mm-hmm. But I think that that's okay because I think there's a lot to be done on the products and the marketing and the education and the product market fit. And maybe in those three to five years, when finally the consumer catches up and really, really starts to get it, those products will be there meeting the consumer exactly where they are with a one-for-one sacrifice-free experience of that plant-based you know, experience, the analog, that replication mm-hmm. of the analog, I should say. So, you know, I think it's, it's, the industry has had its ups and downs and we're definitely in, in a roller coaster type of pattern now. But, you know, I think this is the long game. You know, this is, we're in a marathon and, and not a sprint. And, and I think that those businesses that can understand that and, and get back to the, and close to the consumer and, and stick around and wait for those other consumers to catch up, I think, you know, we'll, we'll be looking at a really bright future. Okay. Now you said one thing a couple of times and I'm just going to drill into it only because I'm curious if our audience may be interested in this. You keep saying about the consumer catching up. And the reason I bring this up is sometimes as vegans, we kind of live in our own bubble. Like we see the world changing. You know, I remember when I was eating oatmeal burgers, you know, and they were nice and dusty. And I was like, oh yeah, this tastes great. But, you know, I had a different expectation. I had a different commitment to this lifestyle. So when I live in my bubble, you know, all change, all new things on the shelf get me excited. But the general consumer may not approach it the same way. So can you give us more clarity around what do you mean when you're saying the consumer to catch up? Is it that the consumer is not consistently purchasing it? Are they seeing it as a specialty item? Are they not seeing it as something that goes into their normal eating pattern? Like what are those components of those things that we would see as, um, you know, as we think about the consumer catching up with this, with the market? Well, we don't have mass adoption yet. We have a lot of the everyday consumer that has tried a plant-based product. It has not uh, met their expectations. It was also at a premium. 
And so they have not put it back into the cart. There's there's a problem with, with repeat purchases. So you have that as one. And then two, we're in an inflationary period. Yes. And consumers, their their pocketbooks, you know, are are not opening as as big as they used to. And when that happens, unfortunately, no matter what the ideals or morals or even uh, older patterns of a uh, consumer are, when they get to the checkout, it's about taste and affordability. And I think that those things have maybe stalled the the industry a little bit. We were seeing a huge, huge, huge push, and it's it's been it's been pulled back a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think once we get the taste and the confidence back from the consumers, which means we just have to excite them with new value propositions. And we have a more affordable price point for those and Gen Zers are, are typically the ones that are really pushing this. Then I think we'll we'll see that come back. And the the plant-based options have to get healthier. So vegans know why they choose vegan and, yes. and plant-based options. For meat eaters, it's because they think it's a healthier option. And the current offerings have not convinced them that it's a healthier option. So that also has to get better. And I think once those things all start to to happen. And I think that's when we're going to see more of that mass adoption. And that's what they're expecting to happen in about three to five years. Okay. Now we've talked about the industry. We've talked. I said, it takes time to change industry and and people and habits. Educating consumers is hard. Educating consumers is, is expensive. Uh, So we just, we just have to give a little bit of time. Yeah, I completely agree with you because you know, a lot of us don't even know that sometimes our buying habits have been passed down to us. You know, there are habits that, you know, when we grew up with, the products that sometimes we select, we select them because we ate them as a kid or we ate them because, you know, our favorite aunt introduced us to them. You know, like we have these uh, connections to them and they're not necessarily, when we, maybe I should say it differently, when we go to the grocery store, we're not always picking and choosing. We're literally just repeating the habit. We're buying, buying the same thing I've been buying for the last five years. So yes, like you said, I might try this one brand or I might see a BOGO or I might see something and say, oh yeah, let me just try that. But to change that behavior, to really turn it into something where we're searching for. And then also one thing I even see from a consumer standpoint is a lot of these brands will show up and sometimes they'll disappear. So they're not consistent. You know, we can even be in my area here in Florida and they'll be in one grocery store and not the same grocery store chain in a different location. You know, and we're only talking four miles, 10 miles apart. Mm -hmm. So therefore the consumer can't consistently buy yet because the grocery stores and, you know, distribution is also making an impact on availability, let alone the um, consumer's demand. So there's a lot of moving pieces. I think a lot of times people don't realize that can impact getting these products to market and getting people to adopt them as something that, you know, every week without fail, they'll purchase. Yeah. Accessibility is definitely an issue. Even with our brand, we've been one of those brands that have been on the shelf and then, you know, uh, a category buyer has, you know, decided at the last minute that they're going to change the set and, and then we're out and we're not accessible. There's a lot of that going on. And I think that, you know, accessibility, once, once the taste and the health get there with most, the majority of the products and we have accessibility then with the right products, that's also a really exciting time for yeah, the industry. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I know for many of us as vegans, we're like three to five years, come on, we're ready now. You know, the year of the vegan and all of this should be now. 
One thing I wanted to do is we've talked about the industry. We talked about the brand and everything you built, but let's maybe talk a little bit about the day-to-day, running your business, running the company, the experience behind that. Because a lot of our audience are challenged with, you know, just the fatigue, the strain, the stress, the decisions that have to be made to run a business. And, you know, we see the packaging and we're like, oh, this is great, but there's so much that goes into it. So do you want to give us some insight into what it's like to run your business, what it's like to run a business, like you said, in this white space where there's so much opportunity, but you also have to make some decisions and decide what space do you go into first, you know, where do you perfect, you know, what packaging, all that good stuff. So maybe give us a little insight of what your daily, your day looks like, or your week may look like. I don't even know how to answer this question. Just because it's been such a wild ride starting in COVID and then going through the supply chain issues of 20 and you know 2020 and 2021, it has been a very wild ride. Um, dealing with distributors and and category managers making you know rash decisions um, to dealing with investors and having those investor talks and the everyday operations you know of the company. You know it's a lot. And I'm also a, a mom of two small children. So that also, that also plays, you know, a lot into the mm-hmm. strategy, especially since I'm the CEO. And so all of the, you know, all of the weight is, is on my shoulders and, you know, it, and it can get very, very stressful. And I would say a week is, is so all over the place for me because I could be working on a presentation to doing a podcast, to working with the operations team, to getting into QA and, you know, to then ordering samples for a customer. It's really, especially today when, you know, CEOs really have to be able to, to wear many, many hats um, and which, which I do. So you have, as an entrepreneur, you have to be a willing and able to wear all of those hats you have to be willing to um, deal with the stress. And I will say the one thing that that helps me get through each day to day and wake up, you know, really motivated is to, I know this sounds so corny, but to truly uh, wake up and, and think about all the things that you're grateful for in your business and try and stay as positive as possible because all those negative things or stressful things will always be there. But it's how you deal and and manage those those negative things, and fo- while at the same focusing on the positive, that's I would say the the number one strategy that I I work on every day that I think has the biggest impact in my business and helps me keep all of the plates spinning. I love that. I love that because yeah, you can definitely get you know, you can feel like the fog out there when you're running your business. You can feel like all you're doing is trying to navigate, figure things out. And therefore the struggle is what either you anticipate in the morning when you first start or you feel at the end of the night. And I agree, it is so wonderful if you can to take those minutes to be grateful, to remember some of the great things that happen because there are those like rays of sunshine that Mm -hmm. come in. Um, and I find that the more we can get grounded as entrepreneurs and, you know, tune into that sunshine, that can really propel us forward. And also other people can feel that light within us as opposed to the gloomy side, you know, can easily creep in. So I'm going to ask, you know, if you had to tell yourself, you know, tell Monica in 2020, Monica, you know what I mean? Like old school, back in the day, what is something that would be, you would consider a lesson learned, something that maybe you wish you knew in 2020, or you wish you knew when you started this transition that you know now, that's been a big enlightened kind of moment for you 
in running your business, in managing this kind of company and moving things forward and kind of, you know, steering the ship since we're, you know, using a lot of seafood kind of terms here. What is one of those things that you feel that you wish you had known and maybe someone listening today by sharing that message, it might help them? So a couple things come to mind. And the first thing I will say is, is what I just spoke about. So in the very beginning, I took stress um, a bit differently. I, I just handled it differently. I let the stressful uh, thoughts rock me to sleep, I should say, you know, which is not good because when you wake up, that's also what you're thinking about. You know, what you go to sleep thinking is, is what you wake up thinking. I think that I, I definitely let the stress get to me a little bit too much in the beginning. And I would have told myself, years ago that being grateful, it's not just, or being positive and, and grateful. It's not just a kind of a sunshiny thing to say, but it truly does get you through. And so that, you know, that would be, that would be the biggest thing. And then the second would be to lean into your mentors and ask for help because I have a tendency of wanting to do things on my own and uh, figuring things out. And I got this and, you know, you don't need to see me struggle or, but, that's definitely not the right way to go about it. Um, and once I started to really lean into my my network and support system and start asking for help uh, is when, you know, things really started to change. I love that about asking for help because it's hard sometimes, you know, when you're in these roles, when you're like the CEO, you're the founder, everyone's looking to you for answers. Mm-hmm. You're the CEO, you're thought to be, you know, uh, you're thought to have all of the answers. Yes, yes. And it's hard because some of these things you have only done them once before or never done them before. And it's so helpful when you can get other input and then still form your own decision. But being able and being comfortable with gathering that input, I think can be hard because, you know, when you read the books and you see the story, sometimes it makes it sound like this person just was born with the answers. But the reality is, you know, you just don't have all the answers. Sometimes you just got to take a leap of faith. And I would also say dive into podcasts just like this one, you know, in, in interviews, you get so many great little, you know, gold nuggets from entrepreneurs that have gone before you. And you can learn a lot from, from you know, podcasts just like this. So even leaning into that resource, if you don't have mentors or, you know, business advisors, podcasts, it's a, it's a wonderful thing that has, has come about. I think in the, you know, the last five years and the popularity of them, they're extremely helpful. I mean, when I'm at the gym, I don't listen to music. I listen to podcasts, which is probably not a good thing, but uh, for stress relieving, but you know, it's, it, you just get so many great, you know, lessons learned. Yeah, I'm I'm the same way. But I'm at the gym or doing walks. I love podcasts because it just it fills me with ideas and inspiration. And it also sometimes I don't know about for you, but it can quiet my mind at times because instead of me worrying about or thinking about what do I have to get done after this walk or after the gym, it puts me in a state of creativity that I can't always find myself in in the middle of the day. And even human connection too, even though you're not talking to them, you're listening, but you know, you hear very raw and real stories from people and you get that, that human connection and makes you feel like you're not alone, which is really important too. Absolutely. So let's make sure everyone knows how to either a get in touch with you. If they want to hear more about your story, if they want to hear more about this business, we didn't even get a chance to touch on the fact that this is family run business and all that good stuff. I, I come from a family of entrepreneurs so that's why that's so near and dear in my heart. But let's make sure people can get in touch. Let's also, I want to make sure that if someone has watched this, um, listened to this, 
And they want to get that mind-blowing experience that they know how to access the product, how they can actually purchase the product. What's the best way? Website, social media, email. What's the best way to stay in touch? And what's the best way to get some mind-blown on someone's doorstep? So the best way to get mind blown on your doorstep is online. So eat mind blown and just, we have a little tab that says buy online and it'll send you through to either GTFO or plant X and then they can ship it right to your door. If you have hungry root or purple carrot or even misfit foods, those meal kit companies are also sold on there. So that can also come straight to your door. And then to get a hold of me, um, LinkedIn is a really great way to you know, shoot me a message on, on LinkedIn. Uh, Monica Talbert. I think that's just like the the profiles, Monica Talbert. And then uh, my email as well, Monica at plantbasedseafoodco.com. It's another great way. Perfect. So absolutely. I'm so excited. I have mine arriving tomorrow. So I can't wait to taste it, try it, and even post about it. Um, We were talking even before the interview. I was like, you know, Monica had this amazing idea of, you know, maybe we come back and do another session or something like that. And we taste some and try some together. So for anyone out there, if you're thinking about it, if you've been curious about it, or if you're surprised that there's these new options out there for you. And I love the fact that we can get these things delivered to our door. You know, I'm a person that does misfits. So that's why I was so excited when I saw it. I was like, let me get it in there because I love getting my fresh vegetables, but it's a great opportunity to also try a lot of brands So as I try it, I will share it with everyone and hopefully maybe we'll be able to get Monica back with us one day and we'll have some fun tasting lunch together. But Monica, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you so much for kind of joining us today and give us a little bit more insight into the space and how it's different and how things are kind of operating behind the scenes. And also it's exciting to have brands like yours out in the market because like you said, we're trying to set that expectation if we're trying to get the world to shift, if we're trying to get people to move over, we have to ensure that when people make this change, that we're meeting their expectations. Now, the hard part is, you know, it's hard to meet everyone's expectations out there because there's so many people in the world. But it's exciting that you're putting out new products, putting out different options. I was on your website and I was like, oh my goodness, I didn't realize, you know, before the interview, I was like, I didn't realize you had that many options out there. Um, So I think it's exciting because, Not only can you make so many dishes and so many just jump into different recipes, it's also the opportunity, like we talked about earlier, where people maybe can stop overfishing, stop impacting our oceans by having a more reliable, cost-effective, and a product that people will love. So thank you so much for starting this business. Keep in touch as you are building this amazing brand. I hope everyone out here who's listening, everyone out here who is listening and tells somebody else to go out and buy Mind Blown as well. Um, but Monica, it was wonderful to have you today. And maybe as we wrap up, is there any parting words, anything you want to just share with our audience, whether it's people who are just starting out or people who are struggling or having a bad day and they happen to be listening to this podcast today, any words of wisdom or inspiration for them? Hmm. I would say... If you're going through the ups and downs of entrepreneurship, make sure that you let the downs go every day. Let that shit go at the end of every day and start every day new and fresh. Sounds simple, but it's very, very, very important. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that sage advice. And (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you, everyone. If you joined us live today, we always love 
having you here live, don't forget to give us a thumbs up or like or all that good stuff. But we also know many of you listen to this as part of our podcast. So if you have any follow-up questions, please reach out to us or reach out to our guests. Make sure you jump on social media, jump on LinkedIn, jump on the website and order the products. Because as always, you know, we have to make sure we support our brands. We have to support our community. For us to drive this movement, we have to buy vegan. We have to put our money in these markets and in these places so that not only do brands like this feel supported by the community, but we also show the world as consumers what is important and what brands we want to move forward so that we can, you know, save the world, change some of this trajectory of some of the craziness that's happening out there in the world, and also continue to inspire entrepreneurs to do their thing because we need them and that's where most of the world change comes from. So thank you so much, Monica, for today. Thank you everyone who listened or watched and we will see you in our next interview. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening to Pivot, our vegan business interview podcast. This is recorded as a live streaming session. So I hope you'll join us for future interviews as well. We offer these interviews to help vegan entrepreneurs stay connected with the vegan business community. If you're interested in more in-depth insights or training, please consider subscribing to one of our premium podcasts, Going Solo or Fix It. Visit veganmainstream.com to learn more or click on the links in the show notes. Thank you.